0: Hello and welcome to Homestead Hens and Honey, a beekeeping, chicken keeping, and general homesteading podcast. I'm your host, Gemma, and today I'm doing something a little different. I started this podcast in September of 2019, so we're coming up on two years, hooray! And since the first episode, I have never taken a break from the podcast. Well, I've decided now is the time. I made myself a promise that I was going to take July off. So when you listen to this, I will basically be on vacation. And what I wanted to do is I didn't want to leave you completely hanging. So it seemed like a good time to repost my very first episode, A Chicken in a Parking Lot. And that is all about how I fell into chicken keeping and therefore homesteading when I found a little beakless factory farm hen in an Aldi parking lot and how that girl led me down the path of falling in love with chickens. It is a story that I love to tell. I think it was a good choice for my first episode but as you'll notice the sound quality was very poor. I hadn't quite figured out what I was doing yet, I was using the wrong microphone, and so it's not the best quality for which I apologise. I have tried to smooth things out as much as I am capable of, but it's not amazing. So I apologise for that, but I hope you enjoy the story, and I hope you will forgive me for not having anything new to give you and reposting for this week. It's not something I plan to do often, but it's nice that we all get a break now and then. So please enjoy this story, this repost, the episode that started it all, all about the chicken that started it all. And I will be back in August, hopefully refreshed and relaxed for a wonderful vacation. Thank you so much for listening. Take care of yourselves, bye-bye. Hello and welcome to Homestead Hens and Honey, a beekeeping and homesteading podcast. My name is Gemma, I'm your host, and I live in a beautiful area of Northeast Ohio. As you can probably tell, I'm not native. I am originally from England and I moved to the US about 11 years ago now. Sort of jumped around a little bit. I originally lived in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, I've also lived just outside Atlanta, Georgia. And now I live in a rural residential area by the Portage Lake State Park, which is a bit outside of Akron. I live here with my biologist husband and our menagerie of pets, which includes a large assortment of reptiles 12 chickens, two whippets, and a retired racing greyhound. At the time of this recording, which is September 2019, I have three honeybee hives. Today I'd like to talk a little bit about how I fell into chicken keeping. It's something that I'd always known that I wanted to do. I imagined myself having a little flock of hens. I bought all kinds of books with information about different breeds, what kind of eggs they lay, what coloured eggs they lay, whether it's better to start with little baby chicks or to get pullets, which is a young female chicken, and whether I wanted to risk having a rooster or not. So I did my research, I read as much as I could, and I started imagining what this flock would look like. I imagined my coop, it was gonna be huge, something that I could walk into to make cleaning it easier. I really wanted it to have a red roof for instance, I wanted it to be beautiful to look at and completely functional. It would have the perfect amount of ventilation, enough to keep things fresh and to prevent humidity buildup in the winter, but not so much that it was drafty and that my chickens would get frostbite in their combs during cold Ohio winters when the snow and frost is heavy on the ground. thought about how I might predator proof the coop and also a run because I quickly learned after moving into my current home that we have a huge amount of hawks in the area as well as raccoons, uh, coyotes and sadly uh, neighbourhood stray dogs that like to come onto the property. So as I'm getting all these books together I'm having a great time imagining exactly what my flock's going to look like. Well not long, after I actually bought this house, which is about two years ago now, I was in downtown Akron grocery shopping when I happened to see something pecking at the ground at the bottom of the tree. I stopped to look because I'm absolutely animal mad and I'm always on the eye out for various critters. And I realized that it's a chicken. And I was just absolutely flabbergasted. Um, Anyone who's local, to Akron, Ohio might know of the Aldi that's on South Main Street. It's a very sort of built up area. Um, there are some homes there, but they don't really have any gardens. Uh, there's definitely no space for chicken coops. It's uh, There's a fire station right nearby. It's not where you would expect to find a little chicken. And I did have a, a little look around just to see if maybe I'd overlooked a tiny coop and this was just some little escape artist. But not seeing anything, I decided, okay, I will grab this chicken and see what happens. So I take a closer look at this little bird. And it's sort of a creamy brown colour with some white base feathers. There's something going on with its beak that I can't quite identify because I couldn't get close enough. And it had this big showy red comb. So in my wisdom I decide that this must be a rooster because as far as I know roosters have these big combs. So I decide that this is a rooster and his name is Bob. So I start looking at Bob and I decide that Bob's going to have to be picked up. Well Bob was not interested in being picked up. Bob was not keen at all on me trying to catch him. So we end up running around and around this tree much to my embarrassment. And I'm really glad in hindsight that it was so early in the morning that there weren't enough people to watch. Although there was one person who actually pulled his car over to watch the hilarity of me chasing a tiny rooster around a tree. I finally decided that I'm not gonna catch this bob, but I could, potentially outsmart Bob so what I did is I grabbed some dried leaves that were on the ground because we were deep into autumn sort of heading towards uh winter so there's you know, plenty of dried leaves and I crumbled them off my hands I start acting as if it's food and this caught Bob's attention so I'm you know pretending I have food and like sprinkling little bits of it on the ground you know just being very calm and still and eventually Bob gets close enough to me that I'm able to scoop down and pick him up. Well, my first thought was, wow, Bob doesn't weigh very much. I was really surprised at how light Bob felt in my arms. And then my second thought was, well, now what? I I have a chicken. What do I do with him? So I go back to my car with Bob under one arm. I'm kind of holding him like a, a football. Uh, that's an American football, <laughs> not, not a soccer ball. And uh, I have a lot of towels in the back of my car because I'm always stopping for, you know, injured wildlife on the road. And I found that some like scrap towels are invaluable for that. So I grab one of the towels and I, I wrap Bob up in it so that he can't fly away. And I have those reusable cloth grocery bags and I popped Bob in one of them wrapped in the towel. And I very loosely tied the top so his little head could poke out but there was no chance that as I'm driving around I'm gonna have a rooster flapping loose in the back of my car. So here I am, I have a rooster, he's in a grocery bag and I'm in downtown Akron. So what I do is I grab my cell phone and I call the Summit County Animal Control who tells me you have to call Akron Animal Control. So I call Akron Animal Control And I ask them what I'm supposed to do. And they say, well, we don't take farm animals, so you'll have to find someone else. So I'm sitting in my car and I'm Googling. And I find out that there's a farm sanctuary about 45 minutes from where I live. Um, They're in Ravenna. They're called Happy Trails and they're amazing, by the way. And so I end up sending them a quick email and I also leave a voicemail for them. And I explain the situation and I say, obviously, I'll bring Bob to you. You just let me know what I can do when I can get him to you. But it's clear I'm not going to hear back anytime soon from them because they're so busy. So I decide that Bob's going to have to come home with me until we can figure out a soft place for Bob to land. So I go home and I leave my groceries in the car. And I figure that I need to set him up somehow. And I can't keep him in the house because I have dogs and they're sight hounds. And my male whippet is a little murder machine. Like Anything smaller than him is fair game. So I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? So I decide the best thing to do is I set up an X-pen, which is kind of like if you could imagine a dog crate without a top. It's for containing small dogs in it. And I set that up outside the fence line at the back where it's kind of there's a little bit of sun and there's some shade as well. And I cover it with bird netting because I don't want to basically make Bob an easy meal for any local hawks that might see him. Put in a bowl of fresh water. Put in some bird seed that I had for the you know the wild birds. And I decide, well, okay, this is going to have to do for for Bob until I hear back from the farm sanctuary. So I pop Bob in, and um, the whole time that Bob had been in my car, actually, he's been making these adorable little noises. Like the whole drive back is just like the whole way. So I am just, I'm besotted with Bob. So I put Bob in his little makeshift pen and he immediately starts, you know, he has a little bit of the seeds, he drinks some water, he scratches in the dirt. I mean, I just sat there and watched him. I was totally in love. I, I thought he was the best thing ever. So meanwhile, I go inside, you know, get my groceries sorted, let the dogs out, all that kind of stuff. And I, I pull some of my many chicken books that I've accumulated over the years and I start looking at sort of basic chicken care guides to make sure I'm not doing anything you know, grievously wrong and while I'm going through all my my books I hear back from the farm sanctuary they call me back and the woman I spoke to was very nice and she basically apologized and said that there was no way that they could take Bob because they'd actually just been involved in a um a cockfighting ring seizure and they had over a hundred roosters and they were at maximum capacity. So she, she was just, you know, very apologetic, but she did say that if I sent her pictures of Bob, that she could help me identify what kind of breed he was, which would help me care for him and also help me find him a new home. So I sent her the information and she gets back to me. And the first thing she says is, that's not a rooster. Bob is in fact Babette. And the name just stuck from there on out. So now I don't have Bob. I have a sweet little hen called Babette. And my first thought was great. I didn't really want to have to deal with a rooster because I like my neighbors. I want my neighbors to like me and roosters are noisy. So I was pretty happy to find out that Bob was in fact Babette. And then she also told me that Babette was a breed called an ISA Brown. I always just say ISA Brown. Um, but this is a production breed of chicken. It's used, if you've ever had a brown egg from the grocery store, it very likely came from an ISA brown chicken. And um, she thinks probably what happened to Babette is that Babette was on a truck on the way to being culled and fell off somehow. And that's how I found her. And that would make sense because she was right near a uh, on-ramp to the interstate. So I could I could see that happening. Now, when I mentioned earlier that there seemed to be something weird going on with Babette's beak, it turns out that I was right and that her beak, that the top part of the beak, which is a hooked part and allows a bird to pick up food, groom themselves, it's it's kind of the useful part of the beak. That had been completely cut off. In fact, they cut it back so far that she had maybe three millimeters of beak after her nostrils. And this is pretty standard practice in factory farming. The reason they do it is that in a a factory farming egg production situation, you have hundreds and hundreds of chickens crammed into confined spaces. And when birds are stressed, they will peck at each other as well as themselves. And if you leave them to it, they can actually kill each other and even themselves. I've read awful stories of parrots that have been treated so poorly that parrots have chewed through their own skin and flesh and inadvertently killed themselves. And chickens are much the same way. So a factory farm just cuts the beak because that way they can't hurt each other and they don't have to improve the conditions. They can keep them in those terrible conditions and the chickens won't hurt each other so they're happy with it. It's likely that Babette was going through her very first molt. A molt is when a bird, in this case a chicken, sheds all her feathers and produces new ones. And chickens will go through their first molt at about um, 12 to 18 months of age, so quite young. And a lot of factory farms will kill the birds at this time because when a chicken's going through a molt, they don't produce eggs. And the reason why is because it's a big enterprise to make new feathers and it requires a lot of protein. So the birds can't put that protein and calories into an egg. They need it for feather production. Now in a factory farming situation, the idea is, well, why should we wait for these birds to start laying again? Well, we can just replace them. So a lot of factory farm animals will be killed around 18 months of age when they're still young birds, they still have a lot of life left because they're no longer productive enough. Well, Babette apparently is one of the lucky ones. She must have fallen off this truck. She's quite small, so my husband's often joked that uh, she slipped through like a little gap or something and went tumbling into the road, and it's entirely possible because having seen other ISA brown chickens since, she was definitely a small girl. So I have all this information in front of me and I'm trying to decide what to do. Now, while all this was going down, I. I'd sent a text message to my husband. I thought he'd find it funny. I would posted on Facebook because I knew my friends would find it hilarious that I had somehow managed to find a chicken in downtown Akron because that's kind of how I do things, I guess. And obviously, all my Facebook friends are telling me, you have to keep this chicken. She's so cute. You, You know you have to keep her. And I did want to keep her because I'd always planned on having chickens and I'd totally fallen in love with her. She was so cute and finding out that she'd had kind of a rough life and maybe she'd been saved from being cold, you know, it softened my heart even more. So I had to decide how I was going to keep her. One thing I did know is that it was getting cold. We were going into winter and I didn't have a coop set up. Well, I'm very, very fortunate to have amazing friends and one of them put me in touch with a friend of hers. Who keeps chickens heard about my situation through her and said well why don't I take Babette I'll look after her I'll foster her and when you have your coop you can come get her so this was perfect and I ended up driving it was a bit over an hour with Babette and dropped her off in this foster home the woman who took care of her is amazing we're still close today we still talk on Facebook and keep up with each other's lives and I am very grateful to have met her She ended up actually fostering Babette as a house chicken and this has made Babette the sweetest chicken on the planet. She quickly learned that people were the source of all things good and delicious and comfortable and ended up just being a sweetheart. So while Babette is safe and warm being a house chicken, I did some research and I was able to get hold of a small coop that was made by a local carpenter. The coop was only really big enough for mm, about four chickens But it had an attached run that was going to be easy to predator-proof. And I decided that the big coop that I dreamed of, that could wait. Right now, I needed to get a good, secure coop. And this did take a little bit of doing because a lot of the coops that you'll see that are already assembled and that are sold online, if you go into Google and you search, you know, pre-made chicken coop, a lot of the stuff that's sold is made in China. And it's made from very soft wood that is often not weatherproofed, so people buy them and find that they start to degrade and fall apart within a year or so. Another problem with them is they often make claims like this can house 10 to 12 chickens and it really can't. A lot of these pre-made coops are way too small for anything more than maybe 1 to 2 chickens, so you really need to do your research. I had great success with a forum called the Backyard Chicken Forum, which had a lot of really awesome information about kind of how much space you need per chicken, both inside and outside of a coop. Anyway, so I had this coop made and it ended up being delivered right before we went into a cold snap. Like there was snow on the ground. It was very cold and I went out to work on it. I needed to add um, something called hardware cloth, which is basically just a thick kind of wire that was going to be predator proof because what a lot of people don't realize is that chicken mesh or chicken wire, that keeps chickens in. That's all it does. It does not keep predators out. A strong predator can actually rip chicken wire. And what's worse, a raccoon can reach through chicken wire and grab hold of chickens. Now, this is a little dark. So, you know, skip ahead about 20 seconds if you don't want to hear this. But Raccoons will often reach in, grab a chicken, and try and pull it through the mesh. When they can't do it, they end up ripping the chicken's head off. And that's actually one way that a lot of people know that it was a raccoon that got their birds because they come out, the chickens are dead without heads in the run. It's not nice. So you want to add hardware cloth or some other kind of thick metal wire um, or mesh to really predator-proof your coop. So I'm out there, it's freezing cold, I can't wear gloves because this hardware cloth has very, very sharp edges when you cut it and so it just kept on ripping up my work gloves. So I just ended up taking them off, my hands went numb. So I ended up coming inside and I didn't realise I'd completely sliced up my fingers until the blood flow returned and then it was very painful and I wore a lot of band-aids for about a week. So finally I have my little coop set up and it has the run And I've made sure that the run is predator-proof so it's got hardware cloth all around the outside and then kind of fanned out at the base, kind of like if you imagine an apron base, like fanning out onto the ground. And what you can do is you can either dig down and put the hardware cloth apron into the ground, or in my case, because the ground was frozen solid, I spread it about two feet out and I weighted it down with very heavy rocks, old logs of flower planters, things like that, so that a uh, predator can't, you know, just pull it up or dig underneath it. It's, it's meant to discourage digging right at the base of the run and the coop, and it seems to work pretty well. I haven't had any issues touch wood so far. So I have my coop, I have my run, it seems to be predator proof. I could get the bet, right? Well, not quite, because a single hen isn't going to be able to survive a cold winter. Chickens rely on each other to generate enough warmth at night to survive cold temperatures. So I needed to find her some friends and I wanted them to be gentle because Babette's missing the top of her beak, which makes it hard for her to defend herself. So I needed some hen friends who were gonna be gentle with her. So I decided what I would do is I go to Facebook and I post on the chicken groups and I basically put a wanted ad up. You know, I'm looking for two to three hens, As companions for an X factory hen, they need to be gentle. I really don't care about their ages or even if they're still laying eggs. I just need gentle hens. Well, I ended up being inundated because what I now know is like a lot of people don't know what to do with their elderly hens. Like they're too soft hearted to cull them, which I completely sympathize with. But they also miss getting all those eggs from the younger hens. So I just was inundated with take my old hen, take this hen. I ended up deciding on three. I got um, one was from a uh, someone actually over an hour away. And I wanted her because she was very old already for a hen. But I was told that she was very snuggly, very gentle and that she was looking for a small flock because she'd recently integrated into a large flock and it wasn't going that great. So I drove, you know, over an hour, because I'm a sucker, to go get this hen. And I actually drove through a beautiful part of Mennonite country. And after I picked up this hen that's called Agatha, um, a bald eagle flew low over our car. And I took that to be a good omen that I'd made the right choice. So I bring Agatha back, pop her in the coop, and I went back out again with a little cat carrier. And I met a woman who was just a town over, and she had... Two ISA Brown, slightly older hens in the kind of two to three year age range. And they were called Meatbutt and Peckington. And they'd been named by her four year old. So I didn't have the heart to change their names. Meatbutt was, well, she still is. Meatbutt is the noisiest hen I have ever met. Uh, Actually, interestingly enough, Meatbutt very quickly became head hen. And she was so bossy and so in charge that she started growing a spur like a rooster would on one of her legs. And I looked into this and this isn't uncommon. Older hens can sometimes take on the rooster role. They will look out for danger. They're very loud. They're very bossy. They're very in charge of the other hens. And sometimes they take on physical features of roosters as well, which I thought was awesome. She is laying eggs, but not as frequently. So it it appears to be something that happens to older hens because of hormones. I sometimes think about it as sort of a chickeny menopause that can trigger something different like this. But anyway... So I put my three girls in. So I now have Agatha, Peckington, and the noisy meat butt. And I ended up putting them in their new coop during a snowstorm. So I basically wished them an easy night, crossed my fingers, hoped for the best. Well, the next morning, they're all out in the run. They are, you know, scratching at the dirt or scratching at the snow and the dirt. And I was delighted, you know, here I have my little flock and they're all ready for Babette to come home. The next morning, I see two girls in the run and it's Agatha, who is easy to identify because she has the fluffiest butt, and Meatbutt, who is also easy to identify because she yells at me constantly. But where was Peckington? So I open up the coop and I find that Peckington has died. Now this absolutely crushed me. I immediately started to think, what did I do? What went wrong? Is... It's too cold. Do I have the wrong food? Is there not enough water? What happened? Well, I'm one of those people. I very much believe in necropsies. Now, a necropsy is basically an autopsy for an animal. It's where you go in, you open up an animal, and you look for signs of diseases and basically a cause of death. And I decided that I was going to do this necropsy myself. Now, I have um, a little bit of experience with kind of off the wall stuff like this and my husband's biologist he's performed plenty of animal surgeries we talked about it i found instructions in a book that i have that i will actually mention later and i ended up in my garage performing a necropsy on poor peckington it was somewhat of a relief to find that the cause of peckington's death had absolutely nothing to do with me and nothing to do with her previous caregiver what had happened is that she had an infection of the reproductive tract that had led to a tumour-like growth that had just got bigger and bigger and bigger until it was pushing up against her intestines and preventing the movement of food and faeces. And in fact, it looked very much like the growth had finally ruptured, probably causing shock and then sepsis leading to a quick death. Now, this kind of reproductive tract infection is in. Incredibly common in chickens and particularly production breeds because they've just been bred to produce so many eggs over time that they almost have a hyperactive reproductive system. So, this isn't uncommon at all. And very much like reptiles, which remember birds are closely related to, you often won't know your bird is sick until it's unavoidable. They can't hide it from you anymore. This is kind of a prey response where they don't want to look weak. They don't want to be picked out as the weak one. And I've actually learned since that um, if a chicken displays abnormal behavior around the flock, the flock will turn on them. So there's no way that her previous owner could have known about this. There was no signs that I could have detected. It was one of those terrible things that happened, but it, it made me feel a little bit better. I, I hadn't, immediately messed up I hadn't done anything wrong it was one of those terrible things so you know I laid peckington to rest after this process and I decided that I was going to go ahead and I was going to bring Babette home now the tricky question with bringing Babette home is how do I introduce her to this flock because you can't just put a brand new chicken in with a flock an established flock even if it's just a flock of two because they'll they'll peck at her, they'll pick on her, they'll want to make sure that she doesn't think she's in charge. So what I decided to do is I would attach Babette's X-pen up against the run so the chickens could see each other and they could kind of interact a little bit but no one could really attack the other one and it gave them time to get used to each other and then at night what I would do is I would put Babette in a little cat carrier and I would put that into the coop so that She would have the body heat from the other two chickens and they could smell her and get heat from her as well, but they couldn't attack her overnight. This went really, really well and it wasn't long at all before I had a perfectly integrated little flock where meatbutt was on top, Babette was kind of second and Agatha just wasn't interested in any of it and was happy just doing her own thing. It was a very, very special moment for me when I came out one morning and I saw my three hens all happy, you know, scratching around together, eating together, just a little integrated flock at last. It was wonderful. I should say as well that um, once Babette got through her molt, she started laying eggs again. Meat was laying eggs, and even Agatha, the extremely elderly chicken, started laying eggs. So I was thrilled. I was thinking that I might not get eggs from this little flock because. You know, Babette had a rough start. I knew meat butt was laying, but not as frequently. And then Agatha's really old, so she, I don't expect her to lay. But here I was, I was getting, you know, even in winter, I was getting three eggs every couple of days, which is excellent. So these chickens just really made it clear to me that I did want to have a big flock. And it was not even a year, it was about 10 months after I had these girls, that I ended up getting my big, beautiful, red-roofed coop. Um, The sad part of this story is that not long after I had the coop, and I had it delivered because that's just well past my building abilities. So I had this huge, big walking coop delivered and I started putting together a run to go with it. And what I did is I made individual panels that I could attach together so that I could work on it by myself during the day, and I'd only need help to put them all together in one big burst that I could do on the weekend with my husband. And it also means that if I ever want to extend the run or make it smaller, I can just take panels out or add panels in. When I'm in the middle of making this paneled run, I come out one morning and Babette has a prolapse, which was basically, um, so, Chickens have what's called a cloaca, and the way to think about it, the way, way I think about it, is it's one hole where kind of everything happens. It's one area that allows them to excrete, that allows reproduction, and where the eggs come out. And what had happened is she was egg-bound. She had an egg that she couldn't pass for whatever reason, and the force of her pushing, trying to get this egg out, had actually caused her to prolapse part of her intestine slash colon. So what I did is I called my vet and they told me, you know, put Vaseline on the prolapse, put her somewhere quiet and calm, you know, give her soft foods and see if she will, given the time, be able to pass the egg. Well, she didn't pass it. So I decided that I had to take her in and I took her to my incredible exotic and avian vet. And we actually decided to do surgery because look, I know that having surgery done on a chicken that I found on the side of the road in downtown Akron is nuts. I know it doesn't make any sense. I know it's crazy, but I was madly in love with this chicken. She was the sweetest baby. She got me started. She had the most insane little personality, and I just decided, you know what? She's special. We're going to do this. So we had the surgery done. I even had a little like um, birth control device put in her to prevent her from creating more eggs for at least a year so that we would hopefully avoid her being egg bound again. And she got through the surgery really, really well, but during her recovery, I think the whole thing was just too much for her. And one night she passed away and I was crushed. I mean, absolutely devastated. If you had told me, Gemma, one day you're gonna be sitting on your sofa ugly crying over a little foundling hen i would have okay actually i would have believed you know that's fair enough that does sound like something i would do but still it was it was very upsetting and um i still miss her actually very very much and i just hope that the 10 months that i had her where she finally got to be a chicken she got to be outside she got to live with other chickens she got to be part of a flock she was Cuddled and fed special soft food that she could pick up and just treated like a little queen. I really hope that that made a difference for her, and I I like to think it did. But on a happier note, anyway, um, once I had my run set up, even though it was hard to admit that Babette would never be part of this new flock, I decided that now was the time that I needed more chickens. So I drove out to someone who was looking to sell eight hens she actually has a huge flock of over 100 birds that free roam on her farm so these chickens are a little bit more flighty and i see a lot more natural behaviors in them you know that they have a more rigid pecking order uh, they you know they dig more uh, they nest more they're just almost like little wild chickens and I, I just love them so i ended up bringing those home and i slowly did another slow introduction of now Agatha and Meatbutt into the big flock and eventually you know everyone settled in. I was surprised because Meatbutt immediately lost her queen status and actually has ended up quite low in the pecking order so she might have been tough and potentially turning into a rooster who knows when she had just a couple of hens but when she faced up against younger birds that were used to fighting for pecking order she did not do that well. She is now very happy. And what's interesting is that now she's part of a lower pecking order. She doesn't yell as much. So I used to wake up every morning and I would hear her making the most awful noises out there. Um, I'm going to do an impression. I hope this isn't too loud on the microphone, but this is what meatbutt sounds like. Now imagine that, but for like two minutes every morning, that was meatbutt. Now that she's part of the younger girl flock, she almost never makes any noise, which I find very interesting. So I had that flock. I have my big chicken flock. I'm very happy. They lay different colored eggs for me. I have an Easter egg in there who lays blue eggs, which are absolutely gorgeous. I have a white leghorn. She produces white eggs. The rest produce different shades of brown. They are very happy. I love watching them. I like to just sit out there. They're incredible. However, as you are probably learning, and as I have learned, chicken keeping does not go how you think it will. So I actually have two coops again that are in use because my small coop, which housed my original three girls, now houses Agatha and two special needs chickens that I found, well, that I was called to come and get from Cleveland. So here's what happened. Agatha is ancient Um, If her age when I got her was correct, she's basically the equivalent of like a 97-year-old human. And unsurprisingly, being so old, she has developed arthritis. Now, again, I am a huge sucker. So when I saw that she wasn't walking very well, that she was stumbling, and that this caused the, the younger hens to really aggressively go after her, I took her to the vet for x-rays and basically she has arthritis all the way through her spine and all her leg joints. It's it's rough. And that's why she's so unsteady. So we put her on pain medication and yes, I go out there every day. I crumble up a pill. I put it in some kind of liquid, like she really likes yogurt actually, or um, squash baby food. And I syringe it, feed it to her drop by drop because I am a ginormous softie and Agatha is precious. So yeah, Agatha ends up in a small coop because the the younger hens are so aggressive to her. Like I came out and she's bleeding from her comb and her face. I mean, it was bad. Like They were going to kill her. So she lives in the small coop. But again, one chicken does not make a flock and she's not going to get through winters by herself. So I actually started looking for bantams, which are like mini chickens. So a lot of breeds come in standard, like um you know, a standard leghorn or a bantam leghorn, which is like a tiny one. And I thought those would be good because they're smaller and they probably couldn't pick on her. And While I'm trying to figure out, you know, what kind of bantams I want, a friend of mine who knows that I'm a sucker tells me, oh, by the way, Gemma, Cleveland Animal Control just found two chickens wandering around and they don't know what to do with them. And I thought you could help. So I'm like, oh, Lord. okay." so my first thought is, oh, Don't really want any more chickens right now because I just got these new eight chickens, and my husband's probably thinking that I've got way too many chickens. So I thought, oh, okay, I'll offer to pick them up and I'll take them to the farm sanctuary because these were definitely hens. And the farm sanctuary that I mentioned earlier is often looking for hens to be companions to the roosters because roosters can't really live together usually, but obviously, hens and roosters go together very well. Well, she sends me pictures of them. And not only are they ISA browns like Babette, but they have cut beaks like Babette and they have big crazy showy red combs like Babette. So my poor little broken heart that's still mourning Babette is immediately telling me we have to have these chickens. So I drive into the city with my trusty little cat carrier and I go pick these girls up and they are a disaster. Well, firstly, if you can imagine it, I get there and it's like, I'm the most crazy person they've ever met. You know, they're all me to me. Oh, you're the chicken lady. You're the chicken lady. Oh, okay. I'll come back here. You keep chickens, huh? Huh? Chickens. That's weird. I'm like, okay. And um, they finally take me into the very back of the facility and those metal pens that they keep, you know, dogs in, that's what they've got the chickens in and the chickens have knocked their food and their water everywhere. It stinks like a farm back there. And in the corner of each uh, little cage is an egg. These girls are still laying eggs, bless their hearts. Well, these girls are encrusted in the food that they've managed to knock everywhere, not to mention their own feces. And I don't think that's not on the animal control. I think they came in that way. I could not bear the smell. It is honestly one of the worst smells. So when I was younger and I lived in England, um, we used to ride our bikes all around the area and there was what we call factory farms in England that keep poultry. We call them batteries. And um, we used to drive our bikes down this one road and it had a battery um, factory situation and you could smell it as you're coming down. Like the smell was just overwhelming. And that's what these girls smelled like. So I'd originally put them in my back seat, but I pulled over, I put them in my, I have like an open boot because it's an SUV. and I ended up putting them in the boot, oh trunk for Americans, um, because I just, I had to get them further away from the front seat. Even with all the windows down, this smell was unbearable. I knew once we got home that I was going to have to give them a bath because they couldn't be encrusted in feces. It's just not sanitary. And I couldn't stand the smell. I don't want to be around them. Now, I have bathed chickens before, and it's always an absolute disaster. And my friends have begged me to film it because, you know, water goes everywhere. Chickens are flapping around the bathroom. My glasses get knocked off. You know, I'm blind and stumbling around. It's a nightmare. Well, this actually didn't go too badly, I think, because the girls were just so in shock about what had happened to them like you know one minute they're in a factory the next minute they're wandering the streets of Cleveland then they're in you know metal cages and now this crazy chicken lady has grabbed them told them how much they stink and dunk them in hot water well warm water so I got them bathed I sort of pre-dried them with the hair dryer on the warm setting and then I set them outside in the sunshine in an enclosed area now ideally what would happen is I would quarantine them for at least 30 days before I put them in with Agatha but I didn't have a quarantine coop. And so I made the decision after giving them a very thorough once over, I basically went over them and I realized that they didn't show any signs of a respiratory infection. You know, There was no signs of um, visible injuries or illnesses. And I decided that I was just gonna have to risk it. Now, this is not something I would recommend. If you can quarantine, please do. In emergency situations, I mean, sometimes you just do the best you can. So I put the girls in with Agatha And there was no issues. I mean, they didn't even try and compete. Agatha's never been interested in it. I'm not sure these girls knew, you know, chicken behavior because they'd been in a factory. And so they immediately just took to it. And I ended up with my little coop housing these three girls that I call the special needs coop because Agatha needs her meds. And you have to be gentle with her because she's, you know, kind of stumbly. And then I have um, the cut beak factory girls who need soft food because of the cut beak. They're also quite underweight, so I've been working on getting weight onto them. And they're really, really stupid. Now, chickens are not smart as a rule, but these are the dumbest chickens I have ever encountered. I mean, Babette, bless her sweet little heart, she wasn't smart, but these ones are just so dumb. They don't seem to have any survival instincts. They seem constantly bemused by the most basic parts of life. Like, I have a hanging waterer for them, and they just were mystified that it could swing. They just couldn't seem to wrap their tiny little brains around it. Um, and so I've actually considered I still haven't named them. I've had them for months, so I don't know what to name them. I've considered things like herp and derp or dumb and dumber. D and dot is kind of what I'm leaning towards. Right now I just call them the special needs girls or the Cleveland hens. Um, and I don't I don't want really to give the impression that I don't love them. I, I do you know, if there's one thing that the taught me, it was to have a huge soft spot for those hens that need a little extra love, a little extra support, you know, getting up to syringe feed them medication, all that kind of stuff. That's just what they like. Another reason I call them the special needs coop is, um, because they don't have the pointy bit of their beak, they can't groom themselves properly. And this isn't a huge issue, apart from the fact that poultry lice are pretty common. If your chickens live outside, you're probably going to experience poultry lice at some point because wild birds carry them and they survive, you know, in the leaf litter and on the soil for a short period of time. So there's just transfer. And a healthy chicken will just groom the poultry lice off, no no problem, before they can lay eggs or become an infestation. But a weak chicken like Agatha, who doesn't have as much you know, movement anymore, or dexterity, or a chicken that doesn't have a beak, they can't groom them off. And so they quickly become, I call them ground zero, and it's just lice infestation all the time. So I end up having to dust these girls with diatomaceous earth, which is kind of a natural insect killer. And by natural, I mean, it's not a chemical compound like permethrin, which is very aggressive and not safe for bees, which is why I don't use it. What it does is it basically dries out the uh, exoskeleton of bugs in it, and it can also cut it up. Like, it's like, imagine very, very fine grains of silica and that just cutting into the exoskeleton, which allows the um, lice, they dehydrate and they die. So I dust them all once a week with this. And I also add it to their dust bath. Oh, I'm sorry. If you just heard some noise that sounded like an elephant rampaging, that was my dog running out the room because apparently someone saw a squirrel. So I apologize for that. Um, Yeah, so I put some in their dust bath, which is, uh, you know, Chickens love to have like a little bit of sand or peat moss where they can roll around in, particularly if it's sunny out. They love to bask and roll in it. It's a good way of grooming. So I put some in there as well because Agatha will dust bathe and she's teaching the Cleveland hens to do it, which is adorable. So these girls, they need a little extra work. They need the special food, they need the medication, they need the D E They need me to keep an eye on them and that's okay you know they're my special girls and i love them and they do give me eggs even agatha like produces these tiny eggs that we call fairy eggs they don't have a yolk or anything but the fact that she's still giving it a go and she's basically you know in her 90s if she was a human is incredible so i think it's worth it so this is all to say i have my big beautiful coop with my big beautiful healthy girls who lay eggs for me regularly and are pretty normal chickens. And then I have my little coop, my original coop, once again with three hens in it, and that's my special needs coop, and um, they keep me on my toes. So really, that's a uh, not so quick rundown of how I ended up with all my chickens. Uh, what I'd like to do before I go is I'd like to recommend a couple of books that I found really useful. So one book is called Keeping Chickens with Ashley English, by Ashley English. Um, This is a great sort of general care book that I I found very, very useful. I also really like Raising Chickens for Dummies by Willis and Ludlow. I'm actually a huge fan of the Four Dummies books. I have the guitar one. I used it to help me get through math in university. I very much recommend it. My absolute number one book, if you're gonna buy any book, the one that you should get is the Chicken Health Handbook by Gail Damaro. This is an incredible piece of literature which basically goes through any kind of ailment your chicken can get from bumblefoot to staff infections. It covers everything. I actually learned how to do the necropsy that I mentioned previously in this episode because of this book. It has pictures. It has a lot of information. It's just absolutely amazing. I refer to it so much and I just love it and I do really, really recommend it. For Books for just like, you want to have some fun, you want something enjoyable, not necessarily a how-to guide. I really like Free Range Chicken Gardens by Jessie Bloom, which is a beautiful book. It has amazing photographs in it. And it's so much information about gardening for chickens and with chickens. Chickens are a great form of natural pest control because they eat all kinds of bugs, including slugs and ticks. So she goes into kind of how you can use your chickens to keep your gardens healthy. Which I really, really liked. And I also like How to Speak Chicken by Melissa Cowie, which is a delightful guide to social interaction amongst a flock. It's absolutely adorable. I think she's a fellow crazy chicken lady, and I love it. And Once Upon a Flock by Lauren shuer which is a little book with author illustrations that details her personal journey getting chickens and the special chickens that she found and how they've changed her life and how they've affected her. And I just love it. It's, it's actually one of the very, very first books I ever found at the library and uh, on chickens. And I just, I absolutely adore it. It's a little hard to find now, but you can get used copies through Amazon. So I would definitely check it out if you can. So those are just some recommendations that um, I think could be potentially useful. I just want to thank you so much if you got through this long-winded account of how I got into chicken keeping. Uh, thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it very much and that you'll join me again. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at homesteadhensandhoney. and Honey. You can email me at homesteadhensandhoney at gmail.com and you can also find me on Twitter at homesteadhens. If you came here via my blog, you'll see that um, I will always have a blog entry that corresponds with uh, each episode and that's a good way for me to add additional information and share photos that maybe I didn't put up on my Instagram. So, I hope that you enjoyed reading the blog post and if you came here through a podcast app I hope you will check out my blog which you can find through my other social media accounts that I just mentioned Um, I do have larger pictures it's also a good reference if you didn't if you can't understand my accent and you don't know what I just said about those books and you want to see you know they're written down somewhere then there's a good way to find it Uh, you can just go onto my blog there So next episode, I'd actually like to talk about how I got into beekeeping and my introduction to the European honeybee. And that's going to be sort of a a little guide you know what is a honeybee? How is a honeybee different from other bees? Why do people keep them? How do they keep them? You know, all that kind of information. So if you're interested in beekeeping or you just want to listen to me talking in this British accent, please join me again for episode two. I would so appreciate it. And remember, go out there, hug your hands and then wash your hands. Thanks very much.